You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by TVObsessive.com. Hello, welcome to episode two of the TV Obsessive podcast, where we talk about all of the things that we're obsessed with on TV. I am here once again with my co-host, uh, Mr. Cameron Crane. I am Ryan Kirksey, a writer and contributor for the site, and just happy to be here tonight talking about some really cool stuff. Cameron, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing okay, Cameron. You are you, you are uh, uh, the, the the big guy at the site. You're the, you're the editor, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm the executive editor of TVObsessive.com. Um, we're just getting going on the podcast here. This is our second episode. Um, if you want to go back and listen to the first one, basically we're just kind of introducing ourselves. Uh, the kind of general plan for the podcast will be that we'll have uh, kind of opening segments talking about perhaps some things that are in the news, you know, um, where I think we're both agreed we don't want to gossip about things or get into too much of that sort of tabloid type fare. We try to focus on things that seem kind of noteworthy in terms of um, you know, production news. We'll hit on some things that are coming up that we're excited about, talk a little bit about what we're watching currently. Um, and so I think that the basic plan is in that first part, we should be able to listen to that and we'll do our best to avoid spoiling things in the shows we're talking about now in, in the first part. We may not have done the best at that last week. It's a retroactive yeah. spoiler warning. <laughs> Um, we we heard about it. We heard about it. Um, so so apologies. If you're listening to this one first, there there's kind of a big spoiler for for White Lotus in in that uh, episode we reported last week. Um, and I think all you get is Ryan saying spoiler warning. Go quick before. Uh... <laughs> Anyhow, apologies for that. Uh, we'll do our best to avoid such things in the in the first part. You know, in the first two segments or first half or however it, it breaks exactly. Uh, and then our basic plan is going to be in the um, sort of latter half of the podcast each week to really sort of dig in on something current that we're watching together. Um, so, well, we're going to talk yeah. about the Bear season one today, which Bear season two comes out in like two days at the time of this recording. So, yes, Chef, I'm excited about that. We're going to get into that a little bit later. We really appreciate everybody who checked out the first episode and who came back here for episode two so as uh, as cameron said we're going to jump into some things that we noticed in industry news some news around television anything uh, catch your eye over the past few days cameron um well one thing i wanted to talk about a little bit retrospectively last week we were talking about lost a bit and we sort of planned to hit on um this piece from mo ryan that was published a couple weeks ago in vanity fair i guess it's a part of her book burn it down um, which I'm interested in reading as a whole, just kind of digging in on a lot of stuff that's not pleasant, you know, in terms of you know, toxic sets and workplace relations and, and all kinds of things. But I do know that part of what she's interested in ultimately is to try to also get at um, examples of it being done well and then hit a kind of hopeful note. So I do kind of want to read the book. Um, but I'm curious, Ryan, if you also read the the bit on Lost, you know, we were talking last week about the show, being fans of the show and so on and so forth. Um, how did that land for you? I mean, are, are you are you feeling like it affects your ability to enjoy the show moving forward at all? 
Yeah, good good question. It, it was tough to read as something that really was digging in on what is my favorite show uh, of of all time. You know, there was uh, certainly, as you would expect, a lot of off record, off the record, and anonymous quotes, but. There was some specific stuff from Harold Perrineau, some specific things from writers that had really bad experiences um, as a part of that, a part of that team. And, and I mean, I have to say, we mentioned last week that going through a rewatch with um, Son for the first time right now, I I do see it a little bit differently now. You see some of the stories and say, oh, yeah, Michael, gone, Mr. Echo, gone, Um, Michelle Rodriguez character, gone. you know, we we see episodes where Jen and Son are minimized or non-existent, and you know, so clearly we're, we're kind of talking about the toxic environment as it relates to to race. So it, it is at least forcing me to watch the show differently, and it's it's a slightly harder watch now when you start to pick up on those things. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree, and then perhaps to briefly characterize the people who haven't read it, which I'm taking you to do go read it, and if you're a fan of Lost. One of the things I, I, I thought was striking and coming through from Orion is I, I didn't at all feel like she was trying to tell us to not watch Lost or not right. enjoy Lost. If anything, it seems like it's coming through that she enjoys Lost, you know. Um, but this feeling that, well, what it could have been if not for all of this. And as you were kind of saying, it it, it really seems like there was a lot of stuff going on that was... I mean, racist comments and things like yeah. this. And, you know, maybe, you know, perhaps people would say they were joking. Maybe they were joking. But if, even if you're joking, if you're like racist jokes, this is pretty not okay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was a little bit of a foundation laid. And I don't know if this was no Ryan's intention of this was a little bit of the culture back 20 years ago when people were running shows. And it was maybe more common than we give it. Um, we give it credit for certainly not excusing anything or not saying any of that was right, but it was, um, you know, for such a huge show that became a success um, over its six seasons, it is hard to look at what was such thought of it to be such a good creative team that had those kind of, those kind of troubles. Yeah. I mean, I sort of feel if anything, she wants to call out that notion that somehow, um, that somehow there is some kind of excuse because you're dealing with some, you know, like genius auteur showrunners yeah. or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and at least that kind of played out for me because it did seem like really as a fan of Lost, we were ultimately pointing at some ways in which maybe it could have been better yeah. if, if they, if they hadn't done something, you know, besides the, um, uh, accusations of racism i mean it's yep. pretty blatant right um but it's just the the kind of um cliquish nature that starts to come into view the idea that you know people were only getting sort of preferential treatment if they were in in group all of this kind of stuff um so i don't know i suppose i wanted to hit on that in particular because we were talking about loss last week and yeah. i think it's almost necessary at this point to recognize that um, even if we continue to love the show moving into the future, that clearly there was some stuff in its production that is pretty bad, actually. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Do recommend anyone who who is familiar with that show, likes that show, um, has been exposed to that show, go read Mo Ryan's piece, Vanity Fair. It's one chapter of her 
her book uh, on on Lost. Yeah, and and honestly, I'm still struggling with it a bit. Mm-hmm. Not only because of Lost, but I mean, as a fan of Damon Lindelof's work coming after Lost, I'm a big fan of The Leftovers, I'm a big fan of the Watchmen series. Um, I haven't gotten around to watching Mrs. Davis yet, but it's on my list. But like because of, of his involvement, so it's um it's it's kind of tough to um I don't know to to grapple with all of that. Yeah, that's and that's maybe one of the toughest everything. things is that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse got so much gas and so much work from this show. You know, still pushing out things as you said, Mrs. Davis, Damon Lindelof, uh, his latest project that it you know, it kind of all started at that point it's 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 sad to see that it sort of has, has been soured by the truth of what was it was actually like yeah i'm not going to give lindelof credit for this but i did it did find it striking that um in the uh, vanity fair piece there's a point where Moran just keeps pushing him until he finally says you know you're right yeah we'll stop like I, he stops making excuses for himself at least yeah. at a certain point but again i'm not i'm not trying to give him credit for that right but it, it was it was a striking moment where in contrast Carlton Cuse seemed like he was constantly speaking through his PR rep and was just kind of never um never took responsibility you know, yeah yeah stayed in denial mode which and I will say very very good reporting in that piece I, I, I yeah, thought very well I definitely do. um so what else is going on in the news well, I uh, I noticed something this week. Um, d- you may have seen this as a as a Stranger Things fan. We had an announcement. Linda Hamilton is joining the cast for season five, the last season of of Stranger Things. So, one question for you: Are we going to see Terminators in season five of Stranger Things? Um, I hope so. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke about that. Yeah. Um, I, uh... Lyndall Hamilton, I mean, yeah, it's definitely the first thing that comes to mind for me is thinking about the Terminator movies. Um, so yeah, we, we know next to nothing there. about this, yeah, this upcoming season. We know, really know nothing. We know it was shut down because of the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. Um, they were scheduled to film this month. But, yeah, this is kind of the, the only piece of news or nugget we've had out of this show for, you know, for something that people are waiting so, so maybe impatiently for it to, to come to its conclusion. This was yeah. a, an interesting piece of news. It is so maybe Linda Hamilton will show up with a Gatling gun. And, I don't know. <laughs> please, please give me that. Please give me that. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Come on. Um, what else? What else do you see this week? Uh, well, we were uh, so Silo got renewed for season two. We were talking about Silo a little bit last week, and um, we discussed maybe digging in on it a bit down the line, perhaps. Yeah. Um, you excited for season two? I am cautiously excited. We, I think that's the right way to, to look at it. They got a lot of plane to land these uh, these next two episodes. I think um, again, we won't get into spoilers on that in case we do it. We do it later. But there's some some certainly some loose ends to tie up and some things I'd like to see them explore or maybe tell us they're going to explore if they go into season two. Yeah, I mean, I really we were hitting on this a bit last week and. To speak just in the broad strokes, I really do feel like got a really intriguing premise going on in the show, but they haven't really moved it forward a whole lot. And so for me, honestly, it depends how do they wrap up season one. Yeah. You know, I mean, I expect they're going to bring it back around to the central mystery and take some level of step beyond that 
and probably leave us on some kind of cliffhanger. Fair enough. That's what I expect them to do, to be clear. But but it kind of depends how um, how kind of intriguing that is, whether at the end of season one, I'm going to be saying, oh yeah, I'm excited for season two, or, you know, for me, speaking for myself, I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's yeah. there's a non-zero chance that I'll finish season one and say, well, I guess I'm done with this show. I know yeah. a lot of people in the world are more excited about it in general than I am, but I'm hoping that they um at least by the season finale kind of get me back. Because I thought that the premiere was really, really, really good. It was excellent. Yeah, I'm hopeful. We'll see that it is picked up for season two. Who knows when that will be? But um yeah, silo uh, coming back, um, go back down 140 floors some some point in the future, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I was also going to mention, I realized listening back to last week's podcast and so on. Uh, we were talking about silo. We were also talking about justified last week. There's a through line there, Graham Yost. Yep. Um, who is the well creator, you know, adapting for TV in both instances. I also checked on that though. Justified is they say Justified is based on a short story, which I was right about, Fire in the Hole, and the new series is based on a book. But in the book, Raylan Givens is not in the book. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I, like, I know we'll be talking a lot more Justified. Is that, that yeah. good sponsor? That's something the show you and I both love. So yeah. very much looking forward to that. But yeah, Graham, Graham Yost having a having a moment right now. So. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm a fan. And I mentioned Boomtown to you. I don't suppose you, you actually checked it out. Not yet. Not yet. The general recommendation of the world, go watch Boomtown. <laughs> Boomtown. The show's 20 years old. And it, was, <laughs> yeah. it, it should not, it was on NBC. It shouldn't have been on NBC. Yeah. And uh, the the kind of gimmick, as it were, if I use that word, is that they're um, shifting from different characters' perspectives. There are actually little differences. So that you'll sometimes you'll see the same event, basically. But now we're from a different character's perspective. Uh, so so it's really cool i mean it's like a cop drama um although the mystery isn't always a murder or whatever you know there's a i, I really my favorite episode the mystery is what happened last night um the guy got blackout drunk and then he doesn't remember what he did oh, okay um, anyway it's a really good show for the first season it's like that then they made them change that central premise basically and they produced like four or five episodes of season two and they're bad and no one should watch them but season <laughs> one is really good <laughs> so, season one okay there's yeah, your, there's yeah, your recommendation yeah. for the night season one yeah. season one down well, i want to mention one just one more thing um, all right things that caught our our news you uh did you watch game of thrones yes okay so you're familiar <laughs> with with uh david benioff and db weiss right and these guys who got so much criticism they're the ones that we saw at the mm -hmm. end of every episode explaining what was happening and talking through all the oh uh, yeah i mean I, I i always turned that off personally <laughs> well they, they were kind of smarmy a little bit a uh, little bit condescending but uh, uh -huh. they uh, they saw that show all the way through and now these two guys have a new show coming out i don't know if you've heard of this but it's a mm -hmm. show adapted from a set of a trilogy of novels uh, called Three Body Problem coming on January to Netflix about a Chinese scientist in the 60s who kind of butterfly effect makes one decision and has ramifications all throughout time, all throughout space. It's very much a sci-fi um, looking show. 
trailer came out this week. Go check it out if you're interested in those guys. But it's interesting. Somebody's taking a chance on these two doing a, a very uh, mysterious, intriguing show again. Yeah, well, so this has been on my radar for a minute. Um, we're fine. You're right. We finally got a release date. The book or a series of books. I mean, this is, this is acclaimed science fiction. This is Hugo Award winning science fiction authors, um, Chinese. I'll try to say his name, but <laughs> please forgive me. Um, <laughs> you know, this is Liu Shizhen. Um, then there's actually a currently airing Chinese series. Really? Yeah. So, like, don't get confused, people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, you're you're free to go and watch the, um, you know, Chinese series if you can find it. That's produced by you know the CCP or whatever. Um, but they they wanted to get ahead of it because they actually do view, um, this guy as you know, what a national hero kind of thing or whatever. But okay. yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see how um Benny F and White do with it and is it any good? Um I think that the, the source material, which I haven't read, but my understanding is the source material is very good. Yeah, apparently yeah. it's excellent. Yeah. Um so I do kind of have high hopes for it insofar as personally at least I'm sort of of the opinion that the biggest problem with Game of Thrones is they ran out of books. And, they got out ahead of George R. R. Martin and uh, couldn't couldn't close it out. Yeah, and you know, it was I mean, there was a thing that was being shared around. Maybe it goes for other things too, but it was like this drawing of a horse that was all intricate. Then like, the, <laughs> <Yeah>. the horse. <laughs> I, I always thought like that's a perfect representation of what happens with Game of Thrones because it's like they, I feel like they went from um, adapting these really rich novels to at best having an outline scrawled on a napkin. Um, I have other problems with Game of Thrones. I've written yeah. about this at, at, at some length. If you want to go and find an article <laughs> on the site about uh, how bad the end of Game of Thrones is, it exists. Well, if you're a believer in these two guys, check out their show, Three Body Problem, January, coming to Netflix. Cool, yeah. So uh we have any other news items here? or I'm good. No, okay. Um, so what have you been watching lately? Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a show starting today uh, that I'm going to be checking out. Some people will be watching this reluctantly. I'll be watching it, hopefully. And that is the, M the newest MCU show on Disney Plus, Secret Invasion. Uh, this is a show with Nick Fury as its lead. It's a show that's been some people are trying to describe as as the MCU's version of Andor. Some people are calling it a, you know, a real spy classic uh, show. Um, there, there, there's a lot of hopes for uh, can Marvel kind of reinvigorate its fans after a series of, of disappointing shows, after a series of disappointing movies and movie results, after the Flash flop this weekend. There's some real superhero fatigue going on right now, but this is a show yeah. that's definitely grounded, right? So much of this multiverse stuff is going on right now. This is a very grounded show, so we'll see what happens. But I'm going to be watching it, uh, hoping, hoping for for good things. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because I, I've definitely experienced that superhero fatigue, as we talked about, um, maybe not on the podcast, but, uh, you know, outside of it. But I do know enough to know that basically Nick Fury was like inaugural to the MCU, right? I mean, it was like the first Iron Man movie, and then he shows up and does Iron Man, right? Yep, um, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, then Samuel Jackson... I can understand yeah. being excited about this. I'm 
woefully behind. I, I gave up a while ago. <laughs> um, I'm, I unfortunately, know. I'm unfortunately caught up, you might, you might say. I mean, you know, you've been enjoying the things or or, or not. Um, <laughs> the Flash is a DC movie, right? I mean, right. It's just in, so, but I mean, I don't know if he's into a general kind of fatigue, as you say, or not. It'd be kind of interesting if so, in my mind. But I'm not, I'm not wishing ill on the MCU by any means. I, yeah. I know people are really excited about Secret Invasion. It's got a good cast. Um I started watching the other night uh, the Righteous Gemstones. Oh yes, started. yeah. I have not, I've not checked that out yet. You haven't watched. Well, we we're talking about things the other person hadn't seen. Um, but I, I think it's really funny. So I don't know, Danny McBride. Have you watched any of uh, Danny McBride's other stuff? Like he's finally. I've down seen a few episodes of the of Danny McBride show. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know. Look, I've talked to some people who just say they don't like his style mm-hmm. of humor, and fair. Yeah, you know, right. Um, but the Righteous Gemstones is maybe a little bit lighter than Vice Principles, for example, is really, really, really dark. Um, and I think Righteous Gemstones is still relatively dark, but it, it kind of has a lot of heart to it. Walton Goggins is in it. And I always mention Walton Goggins, but he's not really, <laughs> he's almost a side character. But I'm still just like every time he shows up, that's baby Billy. So. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna check that out someday, but uh, I'm glad to know this season start, started off strong. It's getting some good good reviews so far. Yeah, it's it's a good time. And then the other thing we were talking about, um, it's coming down the pike a little bit, is winning time, which I thought the first season of that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not sure how many people watched it, but you did as well. Yes, I did. I, I, I loved the first season of Winning Time. I thought the cast was excellent. I thought the you know, the combination of the characters who played the players and their ability to play the role of players really worked well. Um, in addition to sort of the, the strong folks at the at the top, I I, I really like the, the first season and looking forward to season two. Yeah, me too. We've got, um, in terms of the site, Hawk will be writing on it again. So, um, I was telling you right before we started recording, right, that this guy... Hawk Ripjaw is his author name. Um, wanted to write on season one and did write on season one. I think he did a good job. But he came into Winning Time without knowledge of the history. And we sort of agreed that that could be his angle. Um, and I edited the pieces. And it was a little difficult at times because, as I was telling you, he quite literally didn't know who Pat Riley was. <laughs> and that was kind of the biggest thing for me. Like, I couldn't imagine. I grew up as a kid watching the Pistons and the Lakers, you know, I mean, like the, the era that we're in in winning time season one is a little before my time because I was born in 1980. But um, I don't know. I think that we're going to start getting there with season two and if it carries forward. uh, And that might be kind of interesting if I I actually remember, but I guess also to let people know, we are going to be covering it on the site. People want to read along, but that's going to continue to be Hawk's angle. He doesn't watch basketball and he doesn't know. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know these things, but he enjoys the show. So I don't know if that's, you know, I guess the hope is that that's kind of distinctive because I imagine, you know, all over the place, people are writing on it, but with all of that knowledge. So um, trying to do something a little bit different there. But that comes out in August. And uh, yeah. 
Hopefully it's a good time. I love, I love the premise. Um, looks like we're going to, yeah, I love the premise. Looks like we're going to get into really heavy Lakers versus Celtics in the second season based on the trailer. Um, so I, yeah, I'm totally here for, for, for that. That was, you know, I'm, I'm your age, kind of what I grew up with, the stories I grew up with. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And more, more Larry Bird. Yes. I, mean, I kind of liked how they presented Larry Bird, but I don't know. I mean, I was a little surprised that there weren't more real life people getting angrier about how they were being represented. There was some of that. <laughs> Jerry was, West got that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that Larry Bird's had anything at all. He is a, uh, a very reserved guy anyways, but uh, I don't think I heard anything from 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 him. But he, he knows he was he was a jerk when he played. So, yeah, he might just be cool with it. Oddly, you know, <laughs> this this vibe of kind of really being um, mean, but also not. I don't know. So, anyway, that that that's cool. Looking forward to that. Um, anything else on your radar? Anything else you're watching right now? Uh, no, not for me. I'm uh, I'm ready to talk about a show we're both excited about that uh, comes out in a couple of days. But we're going to spend some time on season one. Should we move on to the bear? Yeah, let's do that. So um, general plan here will be that uh, in the latter part of the podcast, we're going to dig in on a particular show. We'll always let you know what it's going to be. Um, hopefully you've seen it or you can listen anyway, even if you haven't seen it. But we're not going to avoid spoilers at all in the latter part of the podcast. So uh, this is your big blanket spoiler warning for um, the Bear Season 1 and everything that follows. We are going to say what happens at the end of the Bear Season 1, maybe first. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um, take the spoiler warning. And uh, we, we agreed we're going to make a little bit of cut here. And uh, we'll pick back up in just a minute um, talking about the Bear. All right, so Cameron, let's talk about The Bear Season 1. Season 2 about to start, officially kicking off. This was a really surprise hit in the summer of, of 2022, um, a show on FX on Hulu. Um, pretty quick yeah, watch, eight, ep eight episodes, all about half an hour each, um, so you can get through it pretty pretty quickly. But this was a, a breakout hit and so i just want to sort of get your general thoughts what you would you like about the first season what you think about it um just general impressions of that first uh first go round yeah i mean i definitely thought it was quite good um cards on the table i watched it rather recently I and mean, there was a lot of buzz about it last year you're absolutely right um but kind of i'm constantly feeling like there's so many things that i want to watch you know what do you prioritize but we started talking about it so i put on the first season and you know as you said next thing i knew i'd watched half of it you know um and then continued on with the rest and there is a bit of a i mean and i recall there was a lot of buzz in the world about that penultimate episode episode seven um which i do want to talk about that a bit more but you know just in yeah. in, in terms of general impressions um you know i thought it was really striking cast is really good and you know one thing that i guess 
it does get me thinking about is how not every show has to be about some big end of the world type stakes or what have you, that there's all sorts of stories and all sorts of human stories that are really interesting and compelling. And um, to, to, to have one that's really just focused on um, a restaurant and working in a restaurant, almost all of it takes place in the restaurant. I mean, not all of it, but close to it. Um, yeah, and I, I thought it was a, or is a really compelling story. Um, I'm looking forward to season two. What about you? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. It is almost almost refreshing to see a show that doesn't have huge stakes, doesn't have huge mysteries, these sort of grand um, questions. There's certainly a lot of themes and a lot of a lot of ideas we can look into, but just really a, as you said, a human story looking at struggle between things that you're just trying to accomplish on an everyday everyday basis. And it seemed like every one of these characters had a piece of that um but really just a great a great human story and and uh performances i just can't say enough about it. you you spoke about already but they're just they're just excellent right i mean and one thing i think is it, it, the stakes are big right i mean they, hmm. they try to be try to parse it a little bit because yeah. I, I think we both know what we meant in terms of what we just said right yeah you know, it's not the stakes aren't big like Oh, we have to keep the president from being assassinated, and the terrorists have his daughter <laughs> kidnapped. You know, but the the stakes are 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 big in the way that the stakes of life are meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and we're getting that here now. What did you think of that episode seven? Because this really was quite distinctive. It, it was so episode seven. If you recall, if you if you've seen the the series, was a twenty minute. One shot, you know, almost mini play within the the confines of the back of the back of the house of the restaurant, um, and it, it really hit with me because I think I, I wrote a recap piece this week about about season one. We're talking about it as stress TV. This was stress TV episode right here. I mean, you mm-hmm. see yeah. non nonstop, non cut, person to person, how it's all interacting. Um, very short, but very powerful in terms of what they tried to accomplish, I think. Yeah, I mean, it quite literally made me anxious, and I didn't enjoy it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, it was good. I am a little worried because there's some reviews out of season two right now, and, and a couple of them are talking about it being even more stressful in season one. And oh, boy. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but I'm a little worried because... <laughs> um, you know, I, I have to recognize that as a really good episode of television, but it's not one that I particularly enjoyed. And, you know, part of it is you say one shot, but it's one it's one take anyway. Yeah. But, right. you know, that they're they're doing it all with a kind of handheld cam style. Um, I think that feeds into what they're doing in that episode, which is kind of presenting this hectic, chaotic, yeah. terrible, terrible day, you know um in the back of the house and everything falls apart by the end of it and you know and and i think the fact that it was shorter yeah by a little bit too um also kind of fed into that theme in a way you know because when we talked about um working in a restaurant which i think you said you haven't worked in a restaurant correct um which fair enough i have a little bit you know but one, I mean, one of the things that's striking, I can pull off from my personal experience, is 
say, you know, going to work at a restaurant where we're busy, we're slammed all day and like waiting tables. That day is just over before you know it because you're just mm -hmm. constantly going, you know, and you can have the sense of a good day. Everything's working, you know, you're, you're on top of it. Um, what we got though in that episode was the absolute opposite which right. happens sometimes where it's not just that one thing goes wrong, but everything goes wrong. Yeah. And, and that there can be that kind of um, domino effect or just sort of avalanche. And I mean, I never had an experience in real life that was as bad as what we see in that episode, because I mean, like this city storms out, <laughs> people, right. people are quitting, you know, yeah. um, but uh, things that, uh, things that came reasonably close and I, and I did think it was powerful. I, I thought it was a good parallel to some of the themes of the show, right? Carmi talks throughout about sort of the restaurants just hanging by a thread financially, the people in it are hanging by a thread emotionally, just sort of the, you know, what they've dealt with, with the loss of, of Michael and Sydney introduces this new thing, you know, this, this delivery service or this pickup option and she made some mistakes setting it up, which causes the chaos. But it just sort of was representative of, you know, I thought introducing one little element to this thing that was just hanging on. And Carmi knew that that would not, you know, almost destroy them. And they did. They had to shut everything down, um, yeah. at, least, at, least, at least on that day. So just, just sort of I think, emblematic of that. Yeah. I think if I interpreted that right, that all that they were supposed to be introducing was the electronic system. Yep. This is a very old school place to beef, you know, blah, blah, yep. blah. And that, so you're going to have this electronic system putting in things through the um, iPad, through the touchscreen, which, I mean, 20 years ago, when I was working in a restaurant, we had touchscreens. They weren't iPads, but, you know. Yeah. So, the, you know, I, I had the feeling they were just putting into place that kind of system. Now, the way this would work is you pull up that touchscreen, you hit in order, right? And then it prints out a ticket there at the um, expediter station. Yeah. Which is where Carmi is. He gets overwhelmed with tickets because Sydney didn't turn off the possibility for pre-orders. Okay. That 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 was my question is sort of, yeah, how, how did that work in terms of what exactly that she did she do, but she didn't turn off the option for people to order ahead of time. That's what I that's why I like she was supposed to turn and I mean I don't know like really right. they have that many potential <laughs> customers but on that day there's they were saying that they did yeah and that somehow they had um all of these people putting in all of these pre-orders and so they're immediately behind he's overwhelmed yeah. he freaks out he kicks into asshole mode you know right um and and everything just you know boils over yeah um which I did think it was interesting, you know, the whole kind of theme. You're mentioning this, right? His brother, Michael's left him this restaurant. He had a bit about their history, but then at least it seemed what, what Carney wants to do is to fix the restaurant. Yeah. And that that that's thematically resonating with um his fraught relationship with with his brother Michael, I guess in particular. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. It, you know, and we really see, I think it's in episode eight, it begins with this monologue from Carmi talking about his brother. And we learn about this history and we learn about their relationship and how that relationship had really broken and fractured and there was none by um, at, at the end. And so Carmi knowing that 
he will never be able to repair that with his brother has now turned him into, you know, motivation of trying to repair, to fix, to make right the restaurant uh, that his brother cared so much about. Yeah, it, it, it was a good theme to me to try to to try to hit on. I, you know, I liked how they use that background, but they only, you know, we only see Michael for five minutes, right, in the whole mm -hmm. the whole series. And so, but even still, you can see sort of the power that he had over the family. And that even in that scene that we sort of see Carmen for looking up to him, um, he'll never be able to get that back. So he's trying to get it back through the restaurant. Right. So, I mean, at least I was struck. You might disagree, but to some degree, this seemed very unhealthy, you know, that psychologically speaking. And I think, sure. you know, we have a sister, um, Sugar. Yeah. I, she has a real name. That's like his nickname for his sister. Natalie, I think. Natalie, okay. Yeah. But she, she's, um, I think she's representing that, Yeah. you know, view. But I actually agree with her. You know, I mean, the, the show centers on Carmi as the protagonist, who naturally um, would tend to kind of follow his way of thinking in terms of the framing. But if you right. take a step back from it, I mean, it's hard to disagree that it was really an, un, an, un, an unhealthy kind of thing that he was doing. And now I wonder, you know, as the season ends, so now they're going to close down the beef and they're going to open a new restaurant mm -hmm. called The Bear. Um, I don't know. Do you think that that, is that landing for you is still kind of psychologically unhealthy? If you agree with me on that, or does it, yeah. or does it feel different? I feel that what we saw Natalie Sugar's character do all season was try to get Carmi to feel something, to open up, to express what he's thinking or feeling or or, or seeing or or what you know what he is, you know what's happened because of the loss of 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 Michael, um, and he just won't do that with her much. He won't do that with um, the rest of their family. He's doing it through the restaurant. So is that something that's psychologically unhealthy probably because we saw in that episode seven that when that fractures and breaks down he loses it he becomes you know the joel McHale, just total asshole uh chef so it, it, it likely is something that's unhealthy if we look at it in that sort of macro macro sense but yeah i, I felt that sugar was kind of always that character trying to draw him back to the 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 right, the middle, the thing that they he, that he should be doing, and he just wanted to focus more on the restaurant. Right. Well, to put, I mean, to put more of a point, maybe on what I'm thinking is something like this: that he wants to fix the restaurant. Yeah. Well, what he really wants to fix is his relationship with his brother Michael. Yeah. Yeah. But he can't fix his relationship with his brother Michael because right. Michael's dead. Right. Michael is an addict. Michael commits suicide, and there's that whole thing hanging there as well i mean to avoid going on too much of a tangent sorry that i yeah. think that there's some parallel where it's okay well so he wants to fix the restaurant but what he really wants to fix is a relationship with michael but he can't fix his relationship with michael but he can't fix the restaurant either or at least mm -hmm. that's the position that sugar takes i think throughout yeah. and that also seems to be the position they're getting from oliver Platt's character on um, jimmy right this thing's so far gone you know, you should just sell it to me. And of course, he has an interest in that happening. Of course. But it's it, it's not clear that he's wrong, you know. 
Um, but then you get the whole thing with the spaghetti sauce and the money in the spaghetti sauce. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, first of all, just how yeah. how did you interpret that in terms of where the money came from and, and you know, how this leads them to their new plan and all of that? Yeah, it, you know, what, what Cameron's referring to is obviously the, the sort of final scene where Carmi reads this note his brother left him that had a, had a recipe for family style spaghetti that called for use of a specific type of tomato. And then those tomato cans that he goes and finds are just, you know, wads and wads of cash. Yeah, and, there's a nice little throwback, actually, yeah, right? Yeah. Because when he first um, is, is taking over the restaurant, he says, he asked, why is he getting the small cans? Right. You know, and, and and then he finally finds that note. There's something weird there, too. Like, it was behind the locker. Richie found it, didn't give it to him, put it back, finally gives him to him. I don't know yeah, what the plan, Michael's plan was, as far as the note goes. But yeah, it specifically they, says he used the small cans, then he finds all this money. And and that's, yeah, there's sort of two interesting questions there. Number one, you know, we Richie's obviously a traditionalist. He doesn't want the things to change. He doesn't want the restaurant to, to budge at all. Um, and so I think he knows or senses that there's something in that letter that will turn this restaurant officially, finally over to, to Carmi. And he just doesn't want Carmi to get that. He doesn't want that to actually happen. He wants it to, to just sort of stay the same. I think the way I described it in my piece this week was R Richie's home life is so terrible. He wants something with some consistency, even if it's this crazy chaotic consistency um, that he has with the with the restaurant. But yeah, you, you asked a question about the sort of the, the, the money and sort of the intention there. Does that mean that Michael was planning for a long time his 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 death? I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, clearly he was trying to save to pay out, pay down that debt. But was he pointing towards doing that all along? I, it's hard for me to say. I was, I'm really I'm curious. I don't know if we'll get I mean, I kind of hope we get some more information here because yeah. um, what there's a seed of is there's a bit where Carmi's asking about these payments to a particular company and yeah. no one knows what it is and so on and so forth. Um, so I don't know, like what was, what was going on there? Yeah, exactly. I do hope we get more and more of that because it's thrown at you in the last six minutes, literally. And then uh, no, no real explanation there. Yeah. Right. They just find a whole bunch of, money and they're surprised you know and i guess yeah. it, i guess it gives the implication they'll be able to yeah get that's why I, that's why i took it pay jimmy back with that yeah um we were, we were going to talk about sydney and in, in in that regard too because as i think i mentioned before she basically quit in the previous episode episode seven pen up penultimate episode mm -hmm. but she is coming back she's coming back to get her final paycheck and they're all finding the money and but then it very much seems like it moves very quickly in those closing scenes to her being on board yeah again and and um what do you think about sydney and her motivations as a whole that's my real question yeah i think that sydney clearly wanted to work for someone as talented as carmy i think that part is clear but sort of beneath that she wants to work with someone who is who can respect her talent respect what she is able to do um and also i i think respect the fact that she could potentially be equal someday right you sort of saw this joel McHale 
um, as the chef and karma relationship where it was the general and the and the soldier right there's just no there's no equality there i think she wanted something where she could get on the same page with someone like Carmi, and she respects his talent but also respects she did respect who he was as a human um and then once he reaches back out to her that's that sort of smallest of all the branches to get her to at least come back and see the check and she sort of sees what's happening and he asks her input once he asks for her input on what the new place would look like so it's kind of a line that's you know some people might have missed he asked for her what it should be like if they mm-hmm. have something new she gives the input he agrees i think they're on board together at that point yeah so it's going to be interesting to um to follow them now trying to make a new restaurant they're calling the bear so then that gives us mm, at least three points of reference for the name of the show yeah. right that Carmi is nicknamed Bear, mm-hmm. which maybe also plays on their last name, Berzado. Berzado, yeah, I think that yeah. I think that's the implication. Yeah, um, they're going to be naming the new restaurant the Bear. Cool, but then we have these scenes in season one where he's standing off with the bear mm. um, on the highway and so on. How, how did you interpret those? You could almost think of it like. What you said, it's his his family. He's got these tremendous these tremendous issues he has to face with that family right in front of him, right? So he's got uh, Michael's death. He's got Sugar, a reluctant owner who is you know constantly pressuring him to do different things. Richie's not family, quote unquote, but he is you know part of that. And I, I just took it as he is constantly facing this threat of what that family name, what the family has done, what they've been, who they've been, what that restaurant has been uh, for so many years is where he has to stare that thing down and decide which one's going to going to win inevitably him or this past, this history, this family. And, um, you know, I think that uh, in the end, we'll see, we'll see as they develop this new place, what, uh, what ends up, ends up happening. But that was just my read on it. You know, not sure if you had a different one. No, I mean, that's better than I have. Really, no. I think that's. I think that's very interesting. I mean, it, like clearly, it represents something about his stress, mm. his internal turmoil, his yeah. fear, his anger. You know, all of, all of that. But you know, I think you're absolutely right to to tie that to the weight of the past and grappling with all those family dynamics and um, and all of that. I mean, you can tell you what what he says in that one monologue. Which I guess I think is when he's at one of the Alamon meetings, right? About you know what led him to pursue this life as a gourmet chef and all of this, um, is tied was tied up in that already, yeah. You know, and so I wonder about um, I don't know. I think that in the background, that's maybe the big theme is how to deal with this past and in particular his relationship with Michael. Correct. Which already wasn't good, you know, and then he went yeah. off and the, had the grind of being a chef, but found some solace in that, in that grind, but then totally lost touch with Michael. And then now he's, I don't know, it's, 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 uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to see what they do in, in season two, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to that and interested to see what happens, because we've talked so much about this, this show centered around the back of the house, the chaos of the restaurant, the chaos of preparing the, these meals. If you've seen any trailer or read anything about this, you know clearly that this is this season is about building and starting a new place. 
So we're likely not going to have much of that. And kind of curious where you think that's going to go and if they can recreate some of that tension and some of that apprehension that they had, had that they did so well without that that environment there. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think so. And at least I would expect that the, there will continue to be these elements of the past and so on. I don't know how much it will do, um, you know, with Michael specifically or yeah. more generally. But I mean, the, the general overarching thing, too, is that he left. Yeah. And now he's come back home, as it were, right? Um, from watching the trailer, it kind of looks like Sugar's going to be in season two more. Correct. And she was in season one, but we'll see. You never know how they cut trailers. Yeah. Um, Bob Odenkirk's supposed to show up. Yeah. I, I can't wait. What is he going to be? Who, who's he going to be? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Bob Odenkirk. I know you are too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it could be. He's got range. You know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. My, I, I, I don't know that I see him as like an Uncle Jimmy sort of heavy on, uh, on this thing, but it could be, um, you know, who knows? Could be a rival restaurant chef or something who who uh, trying to shut him down. Who knows? I, I'm I was going to wager bad guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but he maybe he's maybe he's not a bad guy. <laughs> he's a good guy, you know, or, or, or you know, anything in between. So, um, well, it's been good. Did you have yeah. uh, other thoughts about season one you wanted to hit on before we wrap no, this up? I, I think that's it. I'm I revisited it recently. I'm looking forward to to season two and just found it just as 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 powerful as I watched it the, when I watched it the first time. Um, I think our plan is to spend what the next two weeks we'll touch on season two in various uh, various capacities. So yeah, the next time you'll hear from us, we'll be touching on um, some of the maybe general elements of season two and and diving into to what we've seen so far. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so um, thanks everyone for listening here to the TV Obsessive Podcast. Again, I'm Cameron Crane, um, executive editor. Go to tvobsessive.com, read things. Um, you follow the site on Facebook, on uh, Twitter. You should be able to find it relatively easily on both of those places. If you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, it's at Cameron CC. That's easy if you know how to spell my name. If you don't, you can figure it out. I'm not going to sit here and spell my name <laughs> on, on the podcast for you. Um, Ryan, you want to tell people yeah, where they can find you? Yeah, please. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff, including a, a recap of season one, as I said, up on the site right now. You can find me on um, on the TV Obsessive website, also at Cable Box Score on Twitter. Um, encourage you to find all those sites, all those socials. Um, Hey, wherever you listen to the podcast, um, give us a like, give us a review. We love to sort of hear from you. We love to get some feedback and and sort of help this thing thing grow. We are all over the place. We're on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Audible, Amazon, Overcast, Podbean. You name it, we can you can probably find us there. Um, we're going to be back next week, episode three, diving into the Bear season two and touching on a few other things. So, thanks, Cameron. Looking forward to talking with you next time. All right. Thanks, Ryan. I'll see you next time we meet next week, whatever it is. Okay. That's right. All right.